Well, good evening. It truly is an honor to be with you. I love this church. I want you to know that. I, I pray for your church every Sunday. I pray for your pastor every Sunday. This is a church that means a lot to me. His friendship and ministry means a lot to me. And this is a church that has a far greater reach than, than maybe you even realize in influence far more significant than maybe you can even know when you're right here in the midst of it. This is a church that I love seeing what the Lord is doing. It's a church that has a very much a kindred spirit with my own heart and my own church. Even the, the, the look of the sanctuary here is very similar to the sanctuary where I get to pastor at First Baptist Church of Mustang, Oklahoma. And as I was just telling Tom a moment ago, I love Sunday night church. I love Sunday night church, and so the privilege to get to end the Lord's Day with you is, is a very significant blessing for me. I had the privilege uh, this weekend to preach at a conference out of town, and then this morning was preaching at a church in Dallas, and uh, for me to get to end this weekend of, of preaching in a few different places with you is truly and honestly, it is no small honor. I'm very thankful and very grateful to be with you. I hope and I pray that what I share would be an encouragement to you and a blessing to you. And the only way that can be true is if what I share comes from the Word. And so uh, our collective agreement with that will come as I ask you to open your Bible with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Habakkuk. You've been in 1 John and Revelation. Those are probably well-worn in your Bibles. Habakkuk, maybe not as much. If you need to use the table of contents, no points lost. Feel free to. Let me just begin with this statement. I, I think we can all agree with this. Life can be hard. Would you agree with me with that? Life can be hard. Life can be hard when you are five years old and you are told you have to share a toy with your sibling. Life can be hard when you're 15 years old and you're the only person in your friend group that didn't get invited to the birthday party. Life can be hard when you are 25 years old and it seems you're the only one of your friends that have not yet found a spouse. Life can be hard when you're 35 years old and your friends seem to be flourishing in their career and you find yourself wondering, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? Life can be hard. We could keep going. Life can be hard when you are 55 years old and maybe the things that you dreamed of have just never come to pass. The life you envisioned is not the life the Lord has given. Or maybe at 65, when your friends are retiring and enjoying their years and extra income and you're unable to do that. Or at 75, when for the first time you've come to church alone because your spouse has passed away. And though you know that happens and you saw that happen growing up, you just never pictured it happening to you. And for the first time, everything in life that used to always have a best friend beside you, you're now alone. And your house is far more quiet than you ever dreamed or wished that it would be. Well, the truth is, life can be hard for us no matter what. 
And when the struggles of life come, it seems that there are really two questions that people ask in those moments. Why me? And how long? God, why is this trial happening to me? And how long will this trial last? Why is it my little girl that is sick? Why is it my husband who was diagnosed? Why is it my ministry that seems to be suffering so much? And it seems that if we just knew the answer to those questions, why me and how long, if we just knew the answer to those questions, we could endure. I enjoy going to the gym as a hobby. I go seven days a week, except when I'm preaching in Dallas and didn't get to do that today. And I'm almost 50, and so as I've gotten older, I've been teasing my wife that I've kind of had to switch to old man workouts. Uh, Old man workouts uh, have more stretching Uh, more warming up, and more cardio, which I'm not a fan of at all. And when I'm on the treadmill, which I've never done in my life, but more recently have been, I don't like it because all I think about is this hurts and I'm miserable. And I find myself asking on the treadmill, how much longer do I have to do this? And I'm always comforted by two things. One, I'm in control of how fast it goes. I can always slow it down. And I'm in control of how long it lasts. And even if my legs hurt and my lungs are burning, and even if I've got a a stitch in the side and and I want to push through it, I usually can push through it because I absolutely know how hard it's going to be and how long it's going to last. And anytime I want to end it, I absolutely can. But that's not true in your suffering. And it's not true in mine either. And sometimes all we know is that God is faithful and nothing else. What do you do when your heart is broken, when your world is broken? We just saw that here in your state yesterday, didn't we? Such a broken world. We find ourselves saying, God, how long will this be? Well, you're not the first person to ask those questions. Habakkuk asked those questions. In chapter 1, his question is, God, why aren't you doing anything? God, why are you sitting idly by and not doing anything at all? And of course, that wasn't true, right? The Lord was at work. He just didn't know. Habakkuk didn't know. And then the Lord says, Habakkuk, I'm going to show you, I'll reveal to you what I'm going to do. I'm not sitting idly by. I'm not deaf. I'm not indifferent. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans and I'm going to use them to judge your people and bring them to their knees. And Habakkuk says, you can't do that. God, you can't do that. For Habakkuk, God's plan was worse to him than what he thought was God's inactivity. So much so that he gets in this debate with the Lord in chapter 2, verse 1, says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, Habakkuk says, I've made a pretty good case. I've proved my point. I've backed God into a corner. 
I'll wait for him to come around. And then the Lord takes Habakkuk on a journey. And he's going to remind him of his power, of his faithfulness, of his goodness, and of his character. And in the end, what we see when we get to the end of chapter 3 is Habakkuk goes from worry to worship, from being sour to complete surrender. And at the end of the book in chapter 3, where I want to draw your attention to these final four verses, we find the answer of how to live by faith in a frightening world. How to live by faith in a frightening world. Let me just give you a few headings to write down as we walk through Habakkuk 3, verses 16 to 19. First, there is a surrender that believers still give. There is a surrender that believers still give. I get that from verse 16 when he says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk looked at all the sin around him, and he was so distressed. And he wondered, God, why are you tolerating this? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you doing more about this? And when the Lord told him what he was going to do, it then broke his heart because the plan that God laid out for him seemed too much to bear. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, Habakkuk goes to school. And he gets schooled in the character of God. And he realizes that he can trust him. Even when he doesn't understand. Even when he does not know all that is happening. When you're suffering, when the trial comes your way. If we just knew why. Lord, are you, are you punishing me? Is this something I did to bring about myself? Lord, are you preparing me? Is there something greater right around the corner you're going to use this for? And what the Lord tells Habakkuk is you're going to have to trust in my character. You're going to have to surrender to me and trust me. And so Habakkuk says that his, his body still trembles, his lips still quiver. It's as if rottenness has entered into his bones and he says, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And it will. God's going to raise up the Chaldeans. He's going to judge Habakkuk's people and then the Lord's going to raise up the Medo-Persians who are going to come and judge the Babylonians. And Habakkuk waits. Sometimes that's all we can do, right? We wait. We trust, we worship, but we wait. And he has moved from being fearful to trusting. He has grown from anger and accusation against God to a place of reliance and rest. And there's a surrender he's going to have to give over and over because, as the Lord has promised, the prophecy that is going to come is going to be rough. You've been studying that as you walk through the book of Revelation. The days are dark, and they're going to be darker. And we don't know when all of these events of Revelation you've been studying are going to unfold, but we do know that it is a difficult place to live. 
And we see that all around us. So if you find yourself tonight asking, God, why me? Or God, how long? I want you to first remember with me that there is a surrender that God's people must give. We must surrender our lives to the Lord in recognition that we are not in control. He is. And we surrender ourselves to a God who is faithful. Amen? He's faithful. We trust Him and we surrender. But make note, secondly, not only is there a surrender believers still give, there is a struggle that believers still face. There's a struggle believers still face. We see it in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. This isn't just hypothetical. This is going to be the result and the effects of the coming devastation and coming judgment. There's also going to be a loss of economic gain. Keep looking in verse 17. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Habakkuk references here these key elements in a rural agricultural economy in the land. And Habakkuk understands that though he is surrendering himself to the Lord, life is not going to be easy. And when the day comes, the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vine, and the produce of the olive has failed, and there's no food, and there's no way to make money. Even in that moment, he has to remember that though he trusts the Lord, there is still struggle believers face. You're so well taught and well trained here, you know this, but friends, don't ever think that just because you read your Bible and you come to church and you're faithful to use your gifts, don't ever think that makes you immune or exempt from sorrow. It doesn't. And if I knew you better, I could look into your eyes and I might know some of the dark road you have walked. Life's hard. And what Habakkuk is talking about here is going to be a reality. When the Chaldeans are raised up and the Babylonians come and and bring judgment to the land, they are going to bring destruction and what he talks about is going to be a reality. But please understand this. In verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. He's not trembling because he does not believe God. He's trembling because he does believe God. Make sure you see that. In chapter 1, Habakkuk is accusing the Lord. He's frustrated with the Lord. He's questioning the Lord. By the time you get to the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, he's come to a place of of trust and belief, and, and he understands that what God says is going to pass. And the reason why he trembles and the reason why his lips quiver is not because he doubts God's word. It's because he believes God's word. And he knows how dark it's going to be. But beloved, understand this with me tonight. Trembling faith does not mean a lack of faith. 
Some of you feel like your faith is fragile or your faith is shaky. When your faith is in Jesus Christ, your faith is rooted in the right place. And more important than how strong your faith is, is who your faith is placed in. And, and you may feel like you, you could barely sing the songs we sang tonight. You may feel like the, the pain and burden you're facing, it's all you can do just to, to come to be around people in church. It's all you can do to stand, and, and it's hard to even get the voice to sing. Maybe like Habakkuk, as you try to stand and sing, you feel like your body is trembling, and you feel like your, your voice is quivering because of the pain that you're facing. But understand this. When you struggle with doubts, and when your heart is broken, I want you to understand that what Habakkuk did is he went to the Lord. Now let me be honest with you, if, if somebody in my congregation came to me like Habakkuk, questioning God, arguing about what God is doing, I, I would tell them, that's, that's not wise. I would tell them we, we don't want to argue with God. We don't want to be angry with God. We don't want to doubt God. But I will absolutely tell you this. At least Habakkuk took his frustration to God. You can do worse than that. At least Habakkuk in his faith refuses to let go of God. I can't endorse everything he said in chapter 1. I can't endorse his attitude in chapter 1. I, I can't endorse the way that he approached everything in chapter 1. But I will give Habakkuk this. In his doubts and in his struggle and in his pain, at least he kept going to God. And I would encourage your friends to never lose sight of that. You keep in your word, in the word of God, you keep studying, you keep praying you keep coming faithfully to worship, keep serving in the church, keep praying for the people in your life who need to know Christ, and there may be 10,000 questions you have, and there may be times where you feel like you have far more questions than answers, but in those moments, just refuse to let go of God. Refuse to let go of trusting in Him, and your faith may be shaky and trembling and weak, and you may feel like the man in the Gospels who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But you keep believing, and you keep going to Him. And if I can put verse 17 in, in a more modern-day vernacular, if the time comes and your utilities are shut off, and the time comes and there's no food in the grocery store shelves and the stock market crashes in that moment you cling to God and you say well how do we do that well the answer had been given in chapter 2 look at it with me for just a minute chapter 2 verse 4 the end of chapter 2 verse 4 is a very well known part of scripture. If you don't know Habakkuk well, it may surprise you to read this because it sounds so New Testament. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And you say, that sounds like Romans. You know where he got it? 
Habakkuk 2 verse 4. This is how the people of God have always lived, by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And when people think about that statement and when people quote that verse, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, the, the word that is usually emphasized, and rightly so, is the word faith. That's what we often think about, that we are to live by faith. Absolutely. Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must live by faith. But as you think of that teaching, don't overlook the word live. The righteous will live by faith. Friends, even in a hard world, live. So many people go through life so afraid. And what if this one thing happens? And what if this falls apart? And what if this candidate wins? And, and what if this law gets passed? And what if this happens to my family? And what if they persecute believers this way? And for so many people, they metaphorically just live in a bubble and actually cease living. They're just consumed by fear. Absolutely, faith must be lived out. But brothers and sisters, don't forget the part that we are called to live, to move, to act, to worship, to serve, to love, to make a difference in the lives of people for the glory of Jesus Christ. The righteous man will live by his faith. Don't stop living. Don't look at the headlines of the day and stop living. Don't look at the diagnosis you received and stop living. Don't look at the blessings that you don't have and somebody else does have and stop living. Don't look at the life that you envisioned and compare it to the life that you actually have and stop living. Because the righteous live. Live. So the Bible says whether you live or whether you die, you belong to the Lord. So brothers, sisters, live. We live by faith. And as we live by faith, there's a surrender that believers still give. There is a struggle believers still face. That was going to be true for Habakkuk's people. Third, there is a salvation that believers still enjoy. There's a salvation believers still enjoy. I get this from verse 18 where he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What a powerful statement. God, there's things I don't understand. God, there's things that make me hurt. God, there's things that break my heart. God, there's a, a day that's promised that's coming that's going to be more fearful than anything I could ever comprehend. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. There is a salvation believers still enjoy. There's mercies that extend beyond material losses. And the word for rejoice here is, is not just simply a statement of delight. It includes a cry of triumph. Yet I rejoice in the Lord. I didn't know this storm was coming. But I will rejoice in the Lord. I didn't know that this pain was coming into my family's life. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I don't know how this certain problem is going to 
end up, yet there is a salvation, there's a deliverance that believers still enjoy. And so no matter what we face, and no matter what season of life we are in, we can declare, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Teenagers, children, you may live in a world today and you hear people say things like, Tomorrow is so dark or the future is going to be so bad. Let me, let me be very clear with you, teenagers and children, tonight. If God wanted you to live in a past era, he would have had you live in a past era. You are here today, living now, because this is the day the Lord has placed you. This is a great time for you to be alive. How do I know? Because in God's providence, it's the exact time He has you here. People my age, I'm 50 in two months. People my age, let's be careful how we talk. Let's be careful. In the book of Haggai, you know how that worked out. When the old men started talking about days gone by and discouraged the younger generation, don't do that. If the Lord wanted you to live 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, He could have done it. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And whatever it is you face, say as Habakkuk said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He goes on to say, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know what you see happening in Habakkuk's life? You see spiritual maturity happening right before our eyes. He's gone from saying, God, do something, to saying, God, I trust you. He's gone from chapter 1 saying, God, you can't do that, to chapter 3 saying, whatever you do, I will find a way to rejoice in you. Because no matter what I lose, I have you. Understand that, friends. If you are in Christ, whatever the world can take away from you cannot rob you of your joy because the world cannot take Christ from you. And you may have a lot of things that concern you. I get it. It is a hard world. But in the hard world, we have a God who is good and a God who is faithful. There's a surrender believers still give. There's a struggle believers still face. We're not exempt. There's a salvation believers still enjoy that no matter what we face, we can say, yet I rejoice in the Lord. And fourth, there's a strength believers still possess. There's a strength believers still possess. Get this from verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. God, the Lord, is my strength. And I love this because the word used for strength here denotes not only power, it can denote wealth. In other words, Habakkuk says, God, the Lord, is my strength. God, the Lord, is my source. God, the Lord, is my wealth. If I lose everything I can count, I am still wealthy because if I have God, I have everything. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? 
how easy it is for us sometimes to say, but God, I, I'm going to church regularly. Why am I not getting a promotion? God, I'm, I'm serving the children's ministry. Why am I not making more money? God, I'm, I'm faithfully doing this thing over here that you've asked me to do. Why is it not showing itself in more material comforts? But understand, you can never measure your worth or your value or your wealth by material things. Because Proverbs 23 says, cast but one glance at riches and they will sprout wings like eagles and be gone. But the one who has the Lord can say, as Habakkuk said, God the Lord is my strength. And notice with me, as you see Habakkuk's faith rising and growing and being expressed, notice nothing has changed to his circumstances. The prophecy God gave him is still going to come to pass. Life is going to get harder, not easier. But oh, how much has changed on the inside. How much has changed in his heart. I know every face I'm looking at right now has a story. I know every one of you have been through heartache and turmoil some of what you've been through friends around here know but I would suspect much of what you have been through much of what has burdened you no one in this room knows often our deepest pain goes unspoken but the Lord knows and if you find yourself tonight in a place of loss or despair with anxious thoughts and a burdened mind. If you have the Lord, you can still declare, as Habakkuk did, God, the Lord is my strength. God, the Lord is my strength. And look what else he says. He makes my feet like the deer's. By the way, that comes from Psalm 18. It's the picture of the light-hearted movement of the deer. It's a, it's a picture, a metaphor of joy and trust. He says, he makes me tread on my high places. You know where that comes from? It comes from Deuteronomy 32. It was used originally to describe how the people of God successfully conquered the land. Their feet walked upon the land. Habakkuk, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses that terminology to describe how God has given him strength, how God has given him joy, and how God has made him a conqueror. And what is it that's getting conquered in Habakkuk's life? It's his own heart. Chapter 1, it's doubt, it's anger, it's frustration. Chapter 3, it's worship and trust and it's praise. It is the faith of Habakkuk rooted in God that has even conquered his own heart. And so we take a step back and say, well, what did it? What is it that allowed Habakkuk to go from worry to worship? What is it that, that took Habakkuk from pride to praise? Well, in the three chapters, it's two things. 
It's prayer and the Word of God. That's it. That's what did the work. It was the prayer of him taking his needs to the Lord, and it was the Word of God revealed to him. And the good news I have for you, Countryside Bible, is that tonight you have access to the very same things. You have direct access to God through prayer, and you have his Word. So when you find yourself hurting and struggling and doubting, when life feels like it's falling apart, you have a place to go. You don't have to wonder, what do I do? Habakkuk shows you. And if you say, but is God going to give up on me because my faith is really weak today and I feel like I'm really messing this up, understand what you see in Habakkuk is not only a faithful God, a patient God who leads him to a place of trust. There's a strength believers still possess. And you come to the end of verse 19, and it looks like we're done, but not quite. There is one more thing that should be said. He ends to the choir master with stringed instruments. It might seem like a strange way to end the book. The book of Habakkuk is so raw in chapter 1. It's so personal. It's so real. It's so historical in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and and rooted in theology. And You get to the end of chapter 3 and it's so touching and it's so stirring and it's so moving and it's so hope-giving and life-giving. And then you get this very final instruction to the choir master with stringed instruments. Why? Because fifthly, There's a song believers still sing. There's a song believers still sing. This is intended to be sung. This is intended to be passed down. This is intended to be set to music so people can use Habakkuk's words given by the Holy Spirit to express their own emotions. Now, I'll be very honest with you. If I were Habakkuk, And I've recorded chapter 1, I didn't come off looking real good, and I recorded chapter 2, and I got to the end of chapter 3, and I've had this great song of praise in verses 16 to 19. You know what I would be tempted to do? I'll just be honest with you. I'd be tempted to go back, and I would tear out chapter 1. Let's just pull that out. Let's let people see how I am at the end of chapter 3. Aren't you glad that didn't happen? I suspect there's times in your life when you read chapter 1, if you're honest, you would say, I felt that way. I suspect many in this room have prayed to the Lord in an honest moment and said, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? God, why are you allowing evil to run rampant? God, why are you allowing those who even in your name would go and perpetrate evil and wickedness? Why don't you do something different? Why don't you do something more? Why are you so indifferent? I suspect when you read chapter 1, maybe you don't like to admit it out loud, but in your heart of hearts you would say, I've prayed that prayer too. 
I've wondered why God didn't do this. God, why didn't you bring me a spouse? God, why can't we have kids? God, why did my spouse be taken from me? God, don't you care? God, do you even listen? I mean, if you go back for just a minute to chapter 1. In verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Now understand, that's not true, but that is how Habakkuk felt. Of course God heard. But it didn't seem like it. But the truth of the matter is, the body of Christ need good songs. We need good songs. And it is a special gift to take lyrics, set them to music, so hundreds of people can say at the same time, in the same way, Christ is my sure and steady anchor in the waves of unbelief. It is good when the body of Christ can stand and say, Hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Now and ever we confess Christ is our hope in life and death. And there may be times where your heart is so burdened you can't even sing those words. It's okay. Listen to the song of the congregation. Understand, countryside, that when you sing, of course, you're singing to the Lord, absolutely. But your singing is building the faith of those around you. For that heartbroken person beside you whose legs are trembling and whose voice is quivering, to use Habakkuk's terms, and when that person hears the body of Christ sing, they rejoice. The psalmist said that that the psalmist can't even think of singing in Psalm 40, but the day is coming when the Lord will lift him up and set his feet upon a rock and do what? Put a new song into his mouth. What a gift it is when we sing. There are few things as important in the church as the songs they sing. Teenagers, minister to the people around you when you sing. The older people in this church need to see your hope in Christ. Older saints, let the children hear you sing. They need to see people who have been through life's battle still stand and say, the calm will be the better for the storm that we've endured. We sang that a few moments ago, right? What did it remind us of? That there is coming a day when all the pain of this world will go away. We will be delivered safely home. And in that day, 
we will see Christ for who he is. Don't expect every question to be answered in this life. Do expect God to be faithful. So as we close tonight, I want you to think of these two words, wait and trust. Wait and trust. This is how you live in a frightening world. You wait for the Lord and you trust in Him. While you're praying for a godly wife, while you're praying for a job, while you're playing for a ministry to open up for you, you wait and you trust. And as you see the storm clouds gather, and as you see the culture opposing the things of God, and as you see the threats of persecution get stronger and stronger and stronger, never wrongly conclude that God is deaf, blind, or disinterested. He is working. He is moving. And you may not know how long or why, but you will know that God is faithful. And one day when we're gathered home, and you see Him as He is, when the veil is lifted and you see no longer through a glass dimly, we will know better in that moment than ever before just how faithful He really is. You're familiar with the name Joni Erickson Tata. She's a teenager in a diving accident, left her as a quadriplegic. 2010, after decades of being confined to a wheelchair, unable to do the numerous daily tasks that you and I take for granted, she battled stage 3 cancer. Eight years later, would face it again. And when she thinks about what it would be like to go to heaven, one who has been confined to a wheelchair, dependent upon so many people, I'll tell you what I'd want to do if I was her when I got to heaven in the glorified body. I'd want to run. I'd want to jump. I'd want to move. Let me tell you how she expressed it. I think this puts skin on these things we've talked about tonight. She said, I can't wait for that day because when I get my glorified body, the first thing I'm going to do with my resurrected legs is fall down on grateful, glorified knees. I will once again have the chance to say with the psalmist, come, let us bow down and worship and kneel before the Lord our Maker. You know I realize in heaven I'll have the chance then to jump and to dance and to walk and to run. But I think that kneeling very still on bended, glorified knees, I think when I get to heaven that will be my sacrifice of praise. To not move, when I will be able to move, will be one more chance to show the Lord just how thankful I am. And I suspect when you run into Habakkuk, 
when you say Habakkuk, what'd you learn? I think he'll say, through everything I faced, I learned this. God is faithful. God is faithful. That's how you live in a frightening world. Lord, we thank you for your word and pray that it would be helpful for these dear people. Lord, I pray if I've said anything confusing that it would be quickly forgotten for my words are irrelevant unless they are true to yours. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live, truly live, by faith, with joy, as we wait and as we trust. May we magnify Christ whether we live or whether we die. Amen.